Yeah, okay. Well, actually, you don't normally let me do that. You, Why don't you do <clears throat> You normally start and then I butt in. Let's keep it fresh and let's have you do it. Okay. Um, it's new. Blimey. No pressure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Good Robot Andes. Uh, series 3, episode 21. I'm not even going to ask when it's going to end. I just uh, I think it's never going to end. Yeah, it does seem that this is the season. Yeah, to end all... Actually, we've got um, Easter coming up, so maybe we could break over Easter for two weeks. Yeah, Although, and then we could yeah. finally start a new yeah, season. Yeah, I think we need to, because uh, we're now into sort of um, Star Trek territory, where the season just goes on and on and on. And you, you can tell <laughs> in the episodes where they've spent all their budget. Um, well, like in the first series of 24, where it sags in the middle. <laughs> Doesn't And then in the second series of 24, they blew up a nuclear bomb in the middle of the series to try and stop it sagging in the of middle. Of course. But it didn't really work. But isn't that just... That's going too early, isn't it? If you've got to blow up a nuclear bomb in the middle of 24... Yeah. That's, I think know. that's when they jump the shark. Yeah. I mean, I, I have never seen 24. Oh, really? No. Uh, the first series is good. It was on BBC, I think, and then they lost it to Sky very quickly after that. So I think by the time I thought about watching it, it was gone. Consider watching the first series. It's not uh, life-changingly good, but it is uh, good. Okay, okay. So uh, when I've cleared my backlog of other things to watch, um, maybe I'll I'll watch that. Not before, no. It's all right, it's all right. The second series, no good. I didn't watch any more. All right. Um, and the first series does sag in the middle, as I mentioned. Yes. Does it sag in the middle like a bed, like a double bed, where only one person has slept in it, and then two <laughs> people try and sleep in it, and they just end up rolling into the middle? Is it like that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. That was a very clumsy analogy, but but that's exactly what it's that's like. That's exactly so what it's it like. Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay, so as listener may have guessed. Uh, this is a not a movie podcast tonight. Uh, in fact, I th- I've been bigging this up on my radio show. This one, uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, in the hope that someone will listen. In, in the hope that someone will listen and that uh, we can deliver a uh, a podcast that is all about what's it all about, Andy? What's what's it all about? Well, tonight we're going to talk about the open source community, and we're going to explain what that is as Okay, well. so what kind of source is that? Is that like tomato sauce or brown sauce? It could be all kinds of sauce. Oh, sweet chilli sauce, teriyaki sauce. It could be. <laughs> it could be that. Okay. What it, what it is, is one of the best uh, social movements that's happened uh, in the last 40 years. Uh, it has its flaws, but it's a very good thing. It's given us a lot of the uh, things we value. Yes, uh, and also uh, it's given uh, the likes of Google and Amazon a platform in which to build devices on, among many, many other companies, it has to be said. Yeah, it's the foundation of the modern world, you could say. Yeah, it really is. Even though people like Google and Amazon would like to take credit for that, and they deserve some credit. But not all of it. Uh, that they're building on work by a lot of other people. And these people are the people in the open source community. Yes. Are you going to say, uh, like, who we are? Yes, I am. So uh, we are the good... Sometimes I do that. Yeah, you do do that, yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, listener. <laughs> I'm not very good at this. Actually, I do this on the radio show. 
uh, frequently right. don't introduce guests and just dive straight in. Um, <laughs> but uh, my name is Andy Cockerill, and this is... Andy Balaam. That's harder than, than you make it sound. I know. Um, we are the good robot Andys. Um, we, should, uh, we should probably say hello to our listeners. Although, hello, I, I, th- I don't listeners. think we have any new ones, but I'm going to try and remember off the top of my well, head um, some, some listeners who have actually got in touch with us. And they are uh, Danny. So, uh, hello to Danny. Hello, Danny. Uh, hello, Scott. Hello, Scott. Hello, Haley. Hello, Hello, Simon. Hello, Hello, Kathy. Hello, Kathy. And that's it. Uh, As our listeners probably noticed, that list hasn't gotten any bigger. So if you... If it does, (laughs) it's going to end. I mean, I think it's probably time for that list to end anyway. Okay, we'll just say hello to our listeners then. And people will have to be... Hello to all of our listeners. ...be happy with that. Um, All more than one of them. All more than one of them. Um, I think they've left in droves now that they think there's more than one. (laughs) It's no longer exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You thought we were talking just to you, but it was a lie. Nah. <laughs> that sounds like an Arnie line. They thought they were talking just to you, but it was a lie. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. There we go. Cool. So, um Okay, so I I'm gonna um I'm gonna give an approximation of what the okay. open source community is. Okay, without knowing what it is, just from the title. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm going to not go for the it's a it's a community all about tomato sauce because that would be frivolous <laughs> and silly because is it a, a rollicking Disney adventure? <laughs> it's a rollicking Disney adventure about people uh, gathering tomatoes to make ketchup. <laughs> but I, I kind of know that That's I kind of funny you should say that I kind of know that it's a bit like that it is a bit like that so I kind of know <laughs> that it isn't like that but the open source community mm-hmm. is. A, um, I know that the word community is bandied around a great deal um, to do with, you know, to sort of describe groups of disparate people who maybe have nothing in common other than the fact that they produce something that is put into something else that, that somebody consumes. Um, but yes, the open source community is describes people around the world who... Um, contribute to open source projects and those can be software projects they can be music uh, video to a lesser extent Uh, also things like uh, script writing and writing of things like fanzines stuff like that stuff that's given away for free and that nobody's expected to get anything out of it other than the fact that they've done it and that people enjoy it Um, so that to me is what the open source community is all about. Yeah, so, it, uh, I mean, these days, uh, I'm going to talk mostly about software. There are these other communities, and potentially we should uh, do an episode about, for example, the um, free culture music scene, which is quite thriving these days, mm. actually. Um, I'm mostly going to talk about software, as in computer programs, because uh, that's the bit I know about, and that's where it all came from. Well, that was the first example. Um, another good example, by the way, is Wikipedia, which is um, uh, definitely free culture, where a group of people, almost all, in fact, I think in Wikipedia's case, all of whom are volunteers, um, work together to produce something together that they could never produce on their own, um, and they don't do it for money. So the open source community, in terms of software, 
contains quite a lot of people who do do it for money because it's their job. Um, uh, so these days, some of the major open source projects that we'll talk about, um, the majority of the people working on them are doing it for their job. Um, but the whole community is founded on um, people who are uh, writing software mostly for fun or um, to give stuff away because they want to out of altruism uh, or because they kind of like showing off how good they are or they they want to build their reputation of uh, what a good programmer they are. But there's this real backbone of it, of people who want to make the world a better place by um, producing work that can be used by other people. And there's a real satisfaction in um, writing a program that other people use. And that's where a lot of the motivation for this stuff comes from. Just a feeling that people appreciate what you're doing. That's certainly um, a significant part of the motivation for me when I do stuff like this. Um, yeah, so just a really quick summary. And then I, what I thought I might do is talk a little bit about where it all came from and how it came about. But I think you've touched already on like why it's important. So should we just quickly... Andy, can you talk about like some projects, some piece of software that uh, yes. come from this community? Yeah, so there, there's one that we've talked about before on this podcast, which is Linux, uh, which we went very in-depth about. But we could talk about that on a on the level of it being open source and, mm -hmm. and how important that is, I think. So how important is Linux? Incredibly important. It, it runs most of the, as we said in, I think we did another podcast, uh, Listener, Oh, we did one about all about what what is the internet made of which was a stupid question that i asked that actually has a serious <laughs> answer um and then what is linux uh, linux runs most oh. of the servers so the web servers um around the world it's the backbone of things like google cloud platform aws uh, even azure which is microsoft's um cloud platform it runs on linux yeah well a lot of a lot of stuff in azure runs on, on Linux. Linux, yeah. I'm not sure the Azure servers themselves. I think they're Windows. Do you? Okay. Um, so There's a lot of Linux in there. There is it? a lot of Linux in there. So Linux is, is open source. It's um, free to use, entirely free to use. You can just download it and install it on your computer. So let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about how important that is. I think that would be interesting. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, basically almost every computer, if you're using the internet, almost every computer that you're, um, as we talked about in the internet episode, almost every computer that your messages are going through, which is lots, if you're sending messages through the internet, like email or web, uh, going to a website or any other use of the internet, um, your, your stuff's going through a lot of computers. Almost all of those computers are running Linux or one of the other open source operating systems, like one of the BSDs or something like that. And what is more... Um, the programs that are running on top of Linux that actually do the work of sending messages around are almost certainly all open source as well. So that's things like the Apache web server, which is for building websites or displaying websites. Um, and most of the major email servers are open source. Pretty much all of the infrastructure, all the stuff that you don't think about much when you're using the internet, is pretty much all open source software. And without it being open source, um, quite possibly the whole thing wouldn't have got started and wouldn't work. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because, you know, we think about the internet as being, you know, we pay for access to it by our, from our service provider. But once we're in there, you know, it's it's free to move around and look at stuff on 
websites like Stack Overflow, which I'd like to go into a little bit later in terms of it being an open source uh, place where you can get information. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we think of the internet as being this massively free thing that the only, the only place we're charged at is the place where we actually access it. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I don't really understand who pays. I think we talked about this a bit. We did, in the, yeah. In the internet episode. I don't really understand who pays for all that stuff. But one of the reasons it, it can work is because no one's paying license money for the software. Yes, Otherwise, yeah. I don't think it would add up sums-wise. So people have downloaded the software without having to pay for it. You can download Linux and have it on your computer and lots of programs that run on Linux that are all open source and you don't have to pay for any of it. Um, and some of them are better than the versions you have to pay for, and some of them are worse than the versions you have to pay for. Um, for example, the program we're using to record this podcast, which is called Audacity, um, is the best program I know of to record uh, podcasts on. Yeah, it, it, I think uh, I think lots and, and lots of people free and open use source. this. Yeah, it's it's very heavily used. Mm-hmm. And the the web browser you use to have a, to look at um, the good robot Andy's website. Uh, is quite likely open source. Yeah, if it's, Mozilla Firefox is open source. If it's not Internet Chrome, Explorer or Edge, then it's open source. Well, the core of Edge is open source. Is it? Source. I didn't so know the, that. The key, the, yeah, the key bit of the the browser that actually shows the pages and runs the runs the code of the pages is open source as well. It's on GitHub, which is a website where a lot of open source stuff lives. Yeah, I'd like to talk about GitHub as well uh, on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, GitHub's on my, my hastily scribbled okay. notes, so hopefully we'll get cool. to that. Um, the core of Chrome is open source. The whole of Firefox is open source. Opera. I'm not sure about Opera. Did Opera open source some other some bits? I think so. I, I mean, I, I'm using Opera on my computer uh, at the moment because it's, um, mm. it's, it's the fastest of those three browsers for me, mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes... Yeah. It's very, very important. So, so, yeah. so that is that is. Uh, this is why you should care because uh, you get a whole load of software for free. And even if you don't explicitly download it and use it, which by the way you should, there's some really great programs. Like there's a really fantastic graphics program called the GIMP, mm. uh, which which is like a photo manipulation type program similar to um, Photoshop. Photoshop. Yeah. I mean, it's not as good as Photoshop, but it's completely but free. Means. It's not as good as no. Photoshop, but it it does a lot of the stuff that. Uh, Photoshop does, and some of it it does well, uh, and it's completely free. Uh, just, there's just billions and billions of uh, different things. There's programs for most of the stuff you would need to do um, that you can download for free. The reason it's free is because of this thing called the open source community. This is all open source software. Uh, so that's not even the most important thing. The most important thing is all the internet runs on it, and companies like Google, Amazon, um, eBay, all the major internet companies have enormous server farms full of computers that are all running Linux mm. and they're all running other open source software on top of that. Um, the, the sort of sort of small to medium sized website world only came about because of MySQL running on Linux um, using Apache um, and PHP, all of which are open source. Yes. Yeah. So it's important. It really is important. <laughs> and we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have the internet without it, basically. So that's why you care. So now, now, hopefully, we've convinced you that you care. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, my childhood. Ah, 
Is this going to be one of those things where where I ask you about your childhood? Could we start a little bit of sort of uh, sad sounding music? Uh, You have to stop there, otherwise you'll be you'll be violating some kind of. That's true. Um, So um, when I was a kid, I had uh, a computer called an Amiga, Um, and uh, so around about that time, it was a little bit after things like Commodore sixty four stuff like that. uh, some people had Atari STs and some people had Amigas and some people had these weird newfangled things called PCs, mm. but we weren't interested in them. And at that time, there were a whole load of people writing little programs and then sending them around on floppy disks or copying or them tapes. and giving them to each other. Is this is this um, after yeah, tapes? Yeah. For me, it was after tapes. I think some people were doing this stuff at the time of tapes, but I wasn't really aware of it. So at that time, there was there was this thing that people used to call freeware or shareware. So basically, they'd write a program, and they'd put their name and address on the front of it, and they'd say, you know, please copy this and give it to your friends, and if you use it, please send me, you know, like $5. Right. Or something like that. Um, but, you know, so it was kind of... It was mainly people doing stuff for fun, but they were kind of hoping that they could make some money from it, and um, basically no one made any money from it, but lots of incredibly useful programs got shared around some of them were freeware which just where people just put a little note on it saying you know feel free to copy this and send it anywhere so that was how i first experienced this movement of people who were writing programs for the fun of it or because they needed that program um but they wanted other people to be able to use it and they loved the idea that people would use it and then some of them were trying to make some money from it and that didn't really work Uh, so at that time there was a little bit of that, and then there was a lot of people writing programs and trying to get you not to copy them. And there were all kinds of weird... People who were around at that time will remember things called dongles yes. and, uh, and we- weird things where you had to go to page 17 of the manual and look for the third word in the first paragraph. And a load of stuff that was intended to stop you from copying programs. So let, let's explain what a dongle is. So a dongle uh, would plug into the parallel port or serial port of a of an Atari ST or, or indeed an Amiga, and it would allow you to use a piece of software. And if you unplug the dongle, then the software was useless. You just couldn't use it. Uh, yeah, and then there was this whole other uh, community of people who would open up the binary code of the program and just skip over the line where it checks for the dongle mm. and then copy that and give it to their friends so that you didn't have to do any yeah. of that stuff, um, which meant that you could then copy it when you weren't supposed to be able to and also meant it was a lot less annoying to use, even if you had paid for it, because you didn't have to use the stupid dongle. <laughs> so I just wanted to—I uh, anyway, uh, so- just wanted to digress for a moment mm-hmm. about uh, when you were talking about people sharing software, you know, putting it on a floppy disk mm-hmm. or or something, mm-hmm. um, and then trying to either sell it or just sharing it with their friends. In the 1980s, uh, there's a thing called CFAX. On the BBC, mm-hmm. which I don't think it exists anymore. I think it's been closed. It was, no, they killed, they it. killed it a few years ago. But during the, ni- <clears throat> during the 1980s, um, there was a thing called the BBC Micro B, which was a computer, I think made by Acorn. And yeah, uh, right. that was uh, very popular in schools. That was, of the, that was the Raspberry Pi of its day. Um, so it was, yeah. it was heavily used in schools. And the BBC at night, at sort of three in the morning... They would transmit over CFAX in sound form uh, a computer program. 
Whoa. that you would record onto a tape and then you would load that onto your BBC Micro B. And that that's pre-internet. That's uh, pre-floppy disks that are, that are available to you know people like you and me, and presumably to our listener. Uh, that's that was a way of getting software to you across the ether. And I just wanted to throw wow, that throw amazing. that in there as a little um, a little tale <laughs> of open source. So, yes. so something around this time, maybe a bit earlier. Then, uh, yeah, earlier in fact, there were people in universities, and they were basically the only people who had computers. Mm. And universities have this culture of like publishing their stuff, and that, you know, how you get credit for stuff is publishing it rather than. Um, you know, selling copies of it or something like that. So, um, uh, for a long time, when people were working on software in universities, uh, even for just mundane things like um, the the right code to make your printer work, you know, you you got you maybe you got in a new computer and you got a printer, and no one had ever got those two things to work together. So you, you had to write the code to get your printer mm. working. Once once you'd written it. Um, it wouldn't occur to these people to try and sell that. They would just send it to the printer manufacturer and say, yeah. you know, can you give this to other people so they can use your printer? Or, or they'd send it to each other directly. And uh, so there was already this culture, before I really knew about knew that computers existed, there was this culture of, of sharing code as a kind of natural and obvious thing you would do because why would you not? Mm. Um, and what happened, there was a particular occasion, I used the printer example, advisedly, because there was a particular person called Richard Stallman um, who uh, was in the position of trying to get a new printer to work uh, and found the situation where uh, the printer manufacturer was um, preventing him from um, modifying the drivers that got his printer to work, so the, the program that makes the printer work, and giving them to someone else and telling him that that was against the license of the software. Right. Uh, and this infuriated him so much that he started a movement that changed the world called the free software mm. movement, which is what he calls it, which is, uh, which is uh, almost exactly the same thing as what other people would call the open source movement. But it's, but it's, not, <clears throat> it's not the same, though, is it? Well, it represents a different philosophy, um, but the, um, the sort of outcomes are almost identical. So the free software movement believes in almost exactly the same technical um, technicalities around how you should give away your software and stuff like that, um, or whether you should give away your software, um, but they believe in it for a different reason. So the open source um, movement tends to um, emphasize that this is a pragmatic and useful thing for companies and individuals to do because it makes life better for them. And the free software movement tends to emphasize the fact that it makes the world a better place. And in fact, the free software movement says that non-free software or proprietary software uh, is morally wrong. Right. So they take a very they hard take, line so on so, that, don't they? They take a very strong line on that. And their arguments about that are um, interesting. And they're, they're so counter their prevailing attitude. Um, it's almost hard to take in the idea when you first hear mm. it. Um I sort of lean in that direction. I, I, I buy this argument that, um, at least I buy the argument that um, free software is so good um, that it's a, to it's a terrible waste to make your software proprietary mm. for a number of reasons. You know, one, one really good reason is when your company goes under, uh, people can't use your stuff anymore and it's just a terrible yes. waste. Yeah. Um, 
but also just all the great things that have been done using free software are a good demonstration of why it's a good thing. Anyway, so Richard Stallman um, got so furious about this, he decided he was going to um, sort of codify this culture of um, sharing that had just been around and he had taken as the natural and normal thing and turn it into um, something that was kind of legally enforceable. Right, yes. Um, so he started this movement called the GNU Project to make a whole operating system um, that was completely free. And that is pretty much, um, uh, that's a huge amount of what we now call Linux. Yes. And he would want to, he would like to call it GNU Linux <coughs> uh, <coughs> because so much of it, so much of that uh, software that we use when we use Linux is actually GNU software. And you do see it, a lot of it written by you him. You do see it referred to as GNU Linux uh, occasionally. You do. Yeah. Yeah, the Debian project, which is a version of Linux, calls it GNU right. Linux. Yeah. And also the GNU people call it GNU Linux. No one else really bothers. No. Anyway, he wrote a lot of this software and he got together with other people. But the other really important thing he did was he worked with a lawyer to develop the first version of uh, a license, which you could include with your software, to tell people that they're allowed to copy it and a few other things about it. So one of the key things about this license is not only are you allowed to copy it, um, but also, if you do give it to someone else, you're not allowed to stop them from copying it or changing yeah. it and sharing it with their friends. And and actually, the changing it thing was a really key, important thing for Richard Stallman and for that early movement. Because the real freedom, they talk about free software or free, software freedom, because it's about free being free rather than being no money. They were actually fine with you selling it, so long as you allow other people to copy it and give it away once they bought it. Anyway, the key thing about the freedom for them was the freedom to modify the software to make it do what they need it to do. So uh, especially at that early time, mm. um, like you were always stuck because something didn't work with something else because everything was very new and not not fully developed. So whenever you got some software, you really needed to fix bugs in it. You needed to fix it so that it works with your different keyboard or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when they got software that was proprietary or non-free and they didn't, they weren't able to change it, it was just incredibly frustrating and um, it felt like this incredibly artificial restriction that um, I'm not allowed to change it. Um, you know, I've paid money for it, but I'm not allowed to change it to make it work properly. Mm. You know, that was their argument. It was very, very frustrating. And out of this frustration was born this um, philosophy that all software should be given away um in this sense, I mean, not it can be paid for, but it should be uh, sold or given away with the freedom to change it yourself and to share it with other people. Right. And there's a song, isn't there? <laughs> of which yeah. I'm quite prepared to sing. I only know a little bit of it, but it, uh, yeah, there is the software freedom. The software song. goes: um, um, Join us now and share the software. You'll be free, hackers. You'll be free. You'll be free. That's all I know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's really good. So, um, Richard Stallman is a fan of um, some fairly esoteric. I think it's some kind of folk music. So, um, when he sings it, he sings it with really weird timing because it it uh, he, he he wrote it, and uh, he likes he likes music with weird timing. He's a very very uh, quirky eccentric person. Um, he's mellowed a bit with age, actually. He um, he's just as um, vehement about um, all the ways people are taking away our freedom, but I think he's become a better persuader as he's become um, less less uh, strident. 
slightly less um yeah strident maybe and less yeah, abrasive anyway, yeah yeah less abrasive yeah. that's the word i'm yeah. looking for less abrasive um he's currently uh, he's continuing he's given his whole life to this work and he's continuing to argue about things like um digital restrictions management which is what he calls it yep. uh which is stuff that stops you from um being able to uh share um music or films or things with your Friends. So there's so the the thing about that is there's there's I don't want to get I don't want to get too much into DRM and you know the ramifications of that is that that's there to protect copyrighted work that people have been paid for and you know it is there for a good reason I think um, I certainly think creative work requires a different type of conversation yes it does uh, I mean yeah. software. Yeah. Software is also created by people who get paid for it, um, but it's been fairly well proven that in a, it's, at least in a, a lot of areas of software, um, you can get paid for working on stuff that is open source or free yes. software. And the reason, a big part of the reason for that is that software is never finished. Mm. So you always need new stuff for it. You always need new features and uh, bug fixes and so on and so on. Or at least that's that's what I I observe. That's what is true of a lot. I of think software. that is it's true. Either yeah. Some someone once said software is either dead or or in progress. Uh, it's it's changing. Yeah. 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 So um, uh, that isn't true of say a piece of music or, or something like that. So yeah. it's harder to. It's a di- certainly it's a different yeah or a movie. So it's a different um, business model. It's some how are you going to pay people for doing work which can be copied freely? Yeah. So you don't have to pay for it. And there are people working on potential models, like a a kind of patronage model where everyone gives like two dollars or something, and it adds up to a lot of money if if the work's popular. Mm. Uh, so there might be ways around it, but I certainly agree it's a different it's a different. It's argument. a different. Anyway, I, and Richard Stallman's argument about digital restrictions management is more about um, the fact that it that it restricts you using the thing you've paid for yourself in the way you want to. So, for example. You can't listen to a piece of music uh, on a different operating system or on a, or, or something like that because it doesn't work with the the DRM system. Okay, yeah. Um, so that's the kind of freedom that is. Um, I certainly find when I watch uh, TV programs on the All Four app, it constantly crashes yeah, and loses my place. And I have to watch seventeen buggy, adverts. Very buggy the All Four app. Yeah. And I suspect that that's because the All4 app is more concerned with preventing you doing stuff you shouldn't be allowed yeah. to do than it is with letting yeah. you actually it's, watch it's the programs. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Uh, the uh, iPlayer, so is, that's the iPlayer the kind of thing. is not. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and I think... Yeah, I mean, the iPlayer also uses DRM to um, uh, prevent copying in certain ways, I think, but uh, they seem to have done a better job of it, or maybe they're just less obsessed with it. I, I think they're know. probably less obsessed but, with it, yeah. Possibly. Um, anyway, that's a, that's a sidetrack. But that's what Richard Storman's doing at the moment. So he's very much still with us and still campaigning on issues of freedom mm-hmm. to do with software. Anyway, so we haven't got very far yet. But, so no, no. What on, let's was, have a recap. So what do we cover? We covered Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Yeah. We've talked about Linux. Uh, yes. We've talked about Wikipedia. Came much we've talked later. about um, the uh, Richard Storman and mm-hmm. and the GNU project. So let's talk mm-hmm. about um, something that we've touched on. But we were going to talk about, which is GitHub. Right. Well, let me get through a bit more through the history, and then we'll hit GitHub okay. a bit later. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. 
But I'll start, try and shoot through the history yeah. quicker. So, um, around about the time that Richard Stallman was getting all principled and stuff, um, a slightly strange bloke called Linus Torvalds was writing a hobby <laughs> That's an that no one was going to be... <laughs> well, it's not as strange. Well, he's maybe as strange as Richard Stallman, but in a different... But rude and um, pathologically insane, probably. <laughs> he's a classic he's a classic grumpy yeah he is yeah yeah, and a bit of a misogynist um, well I think he hates everyone maybe yeah okay so carry on sorry um, uh, he was a student at university and he was doing a little toy project that no one was going to be interested in which was making a little uh, operating system which is just the program which runs all the other programs on your computer so it's sort of the, one of the geekiest things you can do and he was just doing it for fun um, and even though most people were writing programs in C at that time, one of the reasons for doing this project was so that he would get to write quite a lot of assembly language, which is much harder than writing C, and that was even cooler, cooler and geekier for him. Um, so uh, he was writing stuff that was highly specific to the processor that he was working on, and it was all completely not intended to be anything big. But he put it up on the internet in case anyone else might be interested, because that's just the kind of culture that there was, like I, like mm. I was saying. A few years later, he switched to using this new license from this Richard Stallman bloke from the GNU project um, called the uh, GPL version 2, which is still the license of Linux today. What that license meant was that uh, everyone who contributed code knew that their code was going to get shared with everyone else and it would never get sort of taken away and locked away by Can some Can you uh, briefly um, explain company. what GPL stands for? GPL stands for uh, General Public License. Is it GNU, is it GNU it's Public that, License or General Public License? It's, it's GNU General Public okay, License. Okay, thank you. So it's the, it's the GNU GPL. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, so what it means, the GPL, is that if you give a copy of the program to someone, you're not allowed to restrict them from giving copies to other people or modifying it and giving away the modified yeah. copies. That's all it means, really. But it's a legal document and it uses copyright law. So there's this interesting conflict between... Uh, a lot of people in this movement basically think that copyright law is a terrible thing and should be got rid of. But actually, the tool that they're using to enforce that um, philosophy is the copyright law itself, which is weird. But anyway, that's the way it's done. So at that time, so then Linux started getting more and more general and less of this specific little hacky project and more and more of a useful operating system. It was a copy of this thing called Unix, which was like... Um, an operating system used in universities and big institutions for big computers. And no one ever thought to use it on small PCs, but then stuff like Linux came along and worked nicely on PCs. At the same time, also, there were these other things called the BSDs, which were other operating systems that were being written that didn't use the GPL. They used licenses that let you do anything you like, including uh, locking up the code and not letting anyone else mm. see it and selling that. Um, and not some in some cases not even telling people that your stuff's inside. Although most of them do have a little clause saying you have to say you're using our stuff, but you don't have to mm. share it. Uh, also, a couple of other projects came along a bit later, around about that time. One was called the Apache Web Server, which I've already mentioned, which is one of the most popular programs for um, showing websites on the internet, and that came along really quite early. And again, that uses a uh, not the GPL, but a, fr a freer license that lets you do anything you like. And another um, program that turned out to be quite important, but you may not have heard of, I think you'll have heard of it, Annie, but our listener may not have heard of it, is a program called Samba, mm. um, which, is, which is a re-implementation of the way Windows computers talk to each other. 
which meant that uh, Linux computers and other non-Windows computers could talk to Windows computers and share files with them, share printers and stuff like that. Which is really important. And it was important at the time for that reason. And now it's kind of used as a reference for... It's more reliable than the Windows way of sharing stuff. Oh, yes. It's more flexible and more reliable. So a lot of uh, Windows office networks actually have a Samba server as the central server, Mm. even though all the computers are using Windows. Um, And that's been a really important project, just banging away on the sidelines, um, just making computers compatible with each other. So often the supported way of getting an old Windows machine to talk to a new Windows machine is actually to use Samba instead of um, the built-in <laughs> and Windows And Samba stuff. is uh, reverse-engineered uh, the um, the SMB or oh. CIFS protocol. Yeah, and it is the way they talk about that, it's ridiculously hard to reverse-engineer yeah, because none, none of it makes any no. sense. And it's all closed source um, as well. But actually, yeah. yeah. They've done such a good job of it that in a lot of situations, even when you've only got Linux machines people will still share files using Samba. Yes, I do at home. Despite yeah. the fact despite the fact that it's a crazy protocol that um, no one could possibly design. But um, it works. The Samba software is just so nicely written that mm. it works. Yeah, it works really well. So that's that's the, the ones I could think of that were like the first generation of a few programs that became important. And Linux, somewhere between where I'm talking about now and now, Linux became just everywhere. Mm. And Apache became everywhere and actually apache is kind of reducing a little bit but linux is just it's getting bigger and now. bigger yeah yeah so okay, what so, happened a bit later yep. oh sorry go mm-hmm. on. okay so uh yeah uh, so after we got linux we've got apache we've got uh, the samba protocol which is um you know sort of on the sidelines a bit but certainly linux and apache are at this time are we talking sort of 1990s now early 90s or later yeah. Yeah, I mean, gradually increasing through the 90s, I think. It was definitely around then, and uh, I I can't say exactly when it kind of took over the world, but by, you know, by 2010, Mm. it was Linux everywhere. Like, all the top supercomputers were running Linux, and and all the smallest devices are all running Linux. So, so, yeah. Everything's running Linux. We've already had a... We already did a a chat about Linux. So, let's talk about... (laughs) Sorry. Let's talk about no. It's okay. It's okay. It's because it's such a big subject that you, you know we end up coming back to it because it's probably the open, probably the open source community subject is Linux. Um, but it certainly is the best example. But in that, terms of, of people know about. Uh, other projects that people mm-hmm. you know may not be aware of uh, that are you know, basically keeping the world running. Uh, there's also yeah, yeah, so- there's Linux based things like Android, uh, your Amazon yeah, Kindle yeah, yeah. is based on Linux. Most of your, most yeah. of your smart um, TVs are based on Linux, and not all of them. Uh, almost all these yeah, days. Yeah, almost all. There, there's a thing called WebOS, which is open source, but is not based on Linux. It's, uh, I think it was um, set up by Palm. It was closed sourced by HP. They sold it to LG, yeah, I think, right? and it's now open source again. Yeah. Yeah, someone open sourced it, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No one's good. no one's using it. So. We'll so it's see. everywhere. So I wanted to talk. So just take us through history. I, I said I'd be quicker, but I really will yeah, be quicker. Okay. Um, the um, the the next big thing that happened. So I, at that point, I'd started to hear about it. 
and uh, it uh, I knew I thought it was a good thing, but I wasn't sure it was really gonna um, work. Oh, there, sorry, I was just looking something up while I was trying to talk, and then <laughs> I've done it. Um, uh, I was starting to become aware of it, and I was thinking, how is this going to become a massive thing instead of just you know a little thing that doesn't really matter to mm. anyone? One of the big things that happened that really made a difference to that was that um, the Netscape company decided they were going to make their web browser open mm. source. So before before that, and I was just looking up the date, and the date was 1998, oh, okay. that Netscape made an announcement that their their web browser, which was called Netscape Navigator, was going to become open source. And is that when they rebranded and this, it? Um, eventually it got rebranded. I'm not sure exactly the timing. Okay. The, the rebranding became... It became called the Mozilla That's browser, right. and then very, and then later it became Firefox, yes. which hopefully most of us have heard of. Um, but it was the Mozilla browser for years and years, and I'm not sure exactly when they called it that. But yeah, 1998 they announced they were going to open source their web browser, and and the world sort of went, yeah. what? I mean, why would someone take this thing that they've made and then just let everyone else have it for mm. free? Now. Netscape Navigator was already free to download, so it was slightly less of a jump um, for Netscape than it was for companies who were charging hundreds or thousands of pounds. Yeah, Netscape for, was the other browser that you could install on a Windows machine. Um, mm. There may have been others at that time, but Netscape was, you know, you either used Internet Explorer or you installed Netscape. Yeah, at that time it was the other browser. Before that, it had been the only browser that was any good mm. at all. Yes. Um, and then this was at the time when uh, Microsoft were being accused of kind of um, ruining the market by giving away Internet Explorer on every Windows machine um, so that people automatically were using it without even Something knowing. Something they got taken to court um, by by the EU and lost. They lost, yeah. but it was a long time after. You know, all the damage was yes, done Yes, it was, it. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Netscape was a sort of horrible browser, uh, but at one point it was the best that you could oh, but use. it was so slow. They open-sourced so it. Yeah. Yeah, they open sourced it, and then eventually, after several years of trying to fix it, the, the open source community that had built up around it decided they were going to throw it away and rewrite it from scratch. Mm. And then they they disappeared for about four or five years. By which time, Internet Explorer had thoroughly won, and eventually they came back with something that was okay. And then a couple of people turned that into Firefox, and at that point, it became really yeah. good and probably the best browser. Yeah, really good. Um, and it's been going on since then. I've gone on far too long again. Anyway, point <laughs> is, this was a really big thing. Um, that announcement was a huge thing. No one, no commercial company had decided they were going to take their closed source, proprietary, non-free thing and make it free software. That was very, very exciting. And a huge thing that other companies looked at and thought, you know, maybe this could be the future. And I've just thought of another company that did something like that. <coughs> a company that doesn't exist anymore. And that was Sun Microsystems who mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. open-sourced, I think, most of their products, including Java. Yes, uh, it was a lot later. It was I a think. lot later, yeah. Um, it, it was, yeah, but yeah, yeah, in the 2000s that happened. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Sun open-sourced Java, which is their programming language, um, and also um, Star Office, as it was yes. called. Which is now called Open and, Office, but I'm not even sure if that's the yeah, same or thing. Well, LibreOffice. It's, it's now called Libre. The one to follow is the one called LibreOffice, yeah. which is like is the true the true follow up of of all yeah. that. 
Um, they also open sourced their operating system, oh, yes, Solaris, Solaris yeah, that's right. a lot, a lot later. But they are now—they don't um, exist anymore. They were bought by Oracle in two thousand and nine or two thousand and ten. And all the good things stopped happening. Yes, exactly. Uh, Sun were also looking after a project called MySQL, which is um, one of the key mm. databases that was that is part of the open source community. Um, yeah. So my history, for some reason, then jumps uh, very far forward to a program called Git. Which, ah, yes, okay. which you might not have heard of unless you are a programmer or um, hang out with programmers, but which has been a massive change for programmers. Um, mm. uh, Git is a program that holds the code of your program for you and lets you share it between people and talk about it and, and say, well, let's change that bit or I'm not sure about what you've done there and stuff like that. And it... Um, it 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 completely revolutionised the way people interact uh, about about their code. There were programs that did this yeah. job before, um, but they constrained you a lot to, in the way you work with each other. And Git lets you uh, Git is just super fast to use, which was a huge a huge it waste a lot less of your time. Uh, but also mm. the way it lets you share share code and work with each other is just so much more flexible. It it, it it was a kind of almost a complete revolution in the way people work. Yeah, am I right in saying that that was written by Linus Torvalds? It was conceived by Linus Torvalds. So he okay, uh, he was working on the Linux kernel, and they were using a program called Bitkeeper, which was I've heard of that. It was proprietary yeah. software, and not open source. And a lot of people in the Linux community found that annoying that it wasn't open source. Um, mm. Um, but that gave Bitkeeper gave you quite a few of the of the kind of flexibilities that Git gives you. It wasn't quite right. as brilliant, but it was pretty good. Um, and the Bitkeeper people let the Linux people use it without having to pay. But they had an agreement that if that no one should try and um, like replace it with an open source version. Right. So then okay. someone did because obviously that was bound to happen. Yeah, uh, they like reverse engineered the protocol, and so the Bitkeeper people said, "Right, you, you can't use it anymore because you've broken our agreement." So Linus took two weeks off writing the kernel, the Linux, which is which is a kernel. That's why I called it the kernel, um, mm -hmm. and uh, wrote the very fundamental core of what is now Git. Um, but it was horrific to use. You know, only only people who thought exactly the way he thought would were able to use it or understand it at all. It was completely <laughs> cryptic. But yeah. he he nailed the kind of underlying fundamentals of how to structure the program, which is why it's so flexible and fast now. Yeah. Um, or part yeah. of the reason why. The other reason is all the massive amounts of work all the other people who work on it have done. So soon after that, about uh, six weeks later or less, he actually handed over the project to someone else. But he'd spent those two weeks just figuring out the exact right way to do it um, and handed that over kind of fully formed. And then the rest of Git was built all around that fundamental model. Um, and uh, it's completely changed everything. And one of the things it's done is it's, it's produced, or what came out of that, that movement is this thing called GitHub and other websites mm. like it, um, uh, which is basically the place where most people go now to um, work on open source software and find open source software that they want to use or they want to improve. Um, 
the uh, yeah it's just a really really easy way of sharing your project with with the rest of the open source community yeah it's good for programmers it's not so good for people who just want to download the program and use it no but it's brilliant brilliant for programmers my other reservation with it is that github itself is not open source they do mm. they contribute to various open source projects including git as part of their work but their actual project itself is not open source and there are other ones that do a similar job that are open source for example gitlab um is kind of half open source and half not and there are others that are uh, fully open source but the um the problem is that github is very good <laughs> and nice to use yeah um it is very good and uh, that means that a lot of the community is built around github even though it, it's not itself open source which i find very uncomfortable uh, but a lot of my stuff mm. is on github um, but i'm just very uncomfortable with that i mean the nice thing about yeah. git is that the way Git works, it's very easy to move your stuff to a different website. So if GitHub kind of stabbed the community in the back, it's very easy to just take all your stuff and put it somewhere else. Yes. At least in terms right. of the code. The other stuff yeah. you've got on GitHub is going to be harder to move if that happens. What, the documentation? The, yeah, the issues that, that specifically. Like yeah, the thing that, of course, yeah, the, yeah. the defects, yeah. Um, the reason why our community is a little bit cautious about getting stabbed in the back is there used to be this brilliant place called SourceForge, which is where everyone found uh, all the open source software that they wanted and worked together on building new stuff. And uh, at, at over a, a five or ten year period, that became a horrific place, stuffed yeah. full of adverts and um, ways of trying to trick you into clicking the wrong thing. Um, and even eventually sort of culminated in actually, we thought you were downloading a program, but actually you were downloading a program that, that showed an advert to you and tried to get you to download some other stuff and yes um yeah essentially um yeah just filled with crud yeah so it's yeah. like a, it's kind of like a malware site and and yeah i've still yeah. got stuff on sourceforge which i haven't got around to moving off it uh so I, you know i feel very hurt by the fact that although actually sourceforge is a lot better now than it used is to it? be okay okay yes yeah I barely go there, but I've got a couple of projects mm. that are still sitting on there, uh, which I feel bad about, but I haven't got around to moving them. Yeah. So that is GitHub. So GitHub is this place now where people go and they can just throw up whatever they happen to be working on and maybe no one will look at it, but maybe they will. Um, people, it, it, like it's got to the point with some things where, where when you're applying for a job, instead of writing a CV, you just say, oh, look at my GitHub profile and you'll mm. see the stuff I've been mm. writing. Uh, which actually yeah. we can we'll talk about later whether maybe that's not such a good thing. <laughs> um, but so but yeah. I, I think it's I think it's worth saying at this point that um, GitHub, as with all other you know types of creative work and software, there is a lot of variable quality on there in terms of what you can get. Oh yeah, well everything's on there. Um, yeah, everything's on there. <laughs> there's some very good stuff on yeah. there. There's some terrible stuff on there that's got no documentation just somebody's thrown a bunch of stuff on there and nobody's ever used it yeah and that's um, one of its problems actually yeah that, that it, it's very yeah. easy to just um put your stuff you're personally working on up there that you're not really expecting anyone to look at um but of course they can they can yeah um and the other thing is is that quite a lot of git is um the same software so somebody will get a project They'll download it to their computer, they'll do a bit of work on it, and they'll upload it onto their account. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
but it's the same as somebody else's with a minor change. So that's co- and that quite a lot of quite a lot of GitHub is mm. that. So that's called a fork. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of forks of projects. Forks used to be this awful, terrible forks. thing that happened in communities when people hated each other. But thanks to Git, mm. because of the flexibility <laughs> and how easy it is to um, to merge things back together once you've modified them. Uh, mm. which is one of the real strengths of Git. Forking a project is now a friendly and good thing to do because you can always merge back in. So it's completely changed the meaning of that word. That's going to be of interest to like one, maybe two of our listeners. <laughs> maybe none. So they, this, <laughs> uh, what I want you to give the picture of with this history is there there was kind of generally, like everyone used to share software at the beginning and then basically yeah. no one shared software except for one person. <laughs> but they, The rise of Microsoft. But they were so yeah. passionate about it. And then gradually, mm. slowly, this, this movement of people saying, no, actually, this way of writing software is the best way. You end up with better software um, and you end up with, um, you know, when companies like Sun go out of business, you don't lose the good things they've made because um, they get passed on to the community. And, that, you know, Sun is a really good example of where that really happened, where Oracle have no interest whatsoever in this stuff they inherited from Sun, but these projects are thriving because they were open source and other people could continue them. Anyway, so, so it went from with, it went um, from almost nothing to d- almost yeah, everything. Just to, just to br- just to briefly digress yeah. about uh, J- Java, uh-huh. is that there is an open source version of Java. There's the the um, Open JDK, mm-hmm. I believe it's mm-hmm. called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that that's a version that Sun open sourced. Mm-hmm. And then was then you know taken by the community and improved and they fixed loads of bugs in it etc. That still exists, but Oracle also have a version of Java that they bought when they bought Sun Microsystems, uh, and that is not open source. Yeah, I mean it's they're mostly the same thing. Yeah, they're, they yeah. they're slightly they slightly deviate from each other, but they're it, when you download one or the other, you're mostly getting the same thing as the other one. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Carry on. I interrupted you. So that that's the the general picture is it's gone from almost nothing, well, from everything to almost nothing, and then to almost everything. You know, including as I said earlier, the uh, Microsoft Edge browser, the the real core parts of that, their new the, their new thing, um, is actually up on GitHub mm. as open source. Um, mm. So what other things I was going to mention, which we've probably already done, I was going to mention just big projects that are open source. So we've already talked about Linux. We talked about the fact that Android um, is based on Linux and also a lot of the Android itself is open source. Um, a big thing which you might have heard of is Ubuntu, which is a version of Linux and all the programs that go along with Linux, which you can use instead of Probably Windows. the most popular version of Linux yeah. that's... Yeah, for probably. home for home use, yeah. yeah. To to re- yeah. to put on your computer that sa- that says Windows when you turn it on. If you want it to say Ubuntu when you turn it on, uh, that w- then Ubuntu is the thing to choose. Otherwise, it's not going to say Ubuntu. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Apache we've talked about. Also, Chromebooks. The the Google Chromebook uh, that all runs on Chrome OS, and a lot of Chrome OS is open source as well. Yes, in fact, uh, you can. There's a version of Chrome OS, which is an open source version called Cloud Ready. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can install that uh, at your peril on any, uh, you know, uh, modern laptop. Mm -hmm. And you can have a version of Chrome OS up and running. And it's very quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Very quick. So so then uh, the next thing I wanted to do was to paint a picture of how uh, writing software as open source is like the new normal. Mm. 
So these days, if you're starting a new project, the default assumption in a lot of cases would be it's going to be open source. And I want to give you some yeah. examples. So all of the, almost all of the programming languages that a programmer would use to write their programs are themselves open source. So for years and years, things like Python and Ruby have been completely open source. We've already talked about Java, and Java's been through some sort of pains because it was very difficult to make it open source, but now it largely is. Um, any new language that comes along, like Rust, um, it's just obviously going to be open source. You would never choose any other license for it. Mm. Uh, also, the, the exciting things that are happening in C++, which is another programming language, um, are being done in GCC and LLVM, which are both open source. Uh, Kotlin is a new language. It's a bit like Java, but much nicer. It's open source because it just what no one would use it if it wasn't open source. Obviously, your programming language yeah. should be open yeah. source. Even uh, a significant amount of C Sharp, which is the Microsoft language, which is that little bit older, uh, is open source. And the bits of it that aren't open source are actually like standardized as an international standard so that people can write their own open source versions of them. And they, right. Compatible. So they don't have to use the, the closed source versions of those libraries. Yeah. So that's, uh, so if you're a programmer, the programming language you're using is almost certainly open source. But then if you're using programs, a lot of them are open source. We've already talked about Firefox. We talked about how a lot of Chrome is open source. There's a new um, programming editor made by Microsoft called VS Code, which is completely open source. Yes, I use that. Yeah. There's a video player called VLC, which probably almost everyone's got, which is open yep. source. Uh, there's a, a sort of souped-up version of Notepad called Notepad++, which is open source. Yeah, I love that. There's a, That's, you can use that on Windows. Yeah. Um, there's this uh, very, very tech, technical but very capable 3D uh, uh, modeler and animator called Blender. That's open source. We talked about the GIMP already, which is a photo editor. Mm. There's photo management. There's, there's so much. It's stuff. actually uh, it's worth mentioning here that Chrome is based on a browser called Chromium, mm. which is completely open mm -hmm. source. Which is actually what I use on my Linux machine. So if you yeah. if you get Chromium, you can get it for Windows as well. Then you can yep. rest assured that it's genuinely open source, not just mostly open source. Yes, yes. So, yeah, lots of programs are um, open source. Yes. Also, lots of programs are not open source, but, but stuff to do with the internet, uh, just loads of that is open source. So, um, yeah. what came to mind for me was WordPress, which is a blog, is mm. easily the most popular blogging platform. That's completely open source and very open source y in the way it works. Uh, and even uh, the, the, there's been a bit of uh, kind of backtracking around this. Uh, around some of the stuff that people use on the internet, like um, Google, Facebook, Twitter, none of those things are open source. But there's a no. there's a backlash going on right as we speak against Facebook, um, and a lot of people are moving to uh, open source alternatives. And there's one the one that's got a lot of momentum at the moment, which is called Mastodon, which is kind of or Mast, as as the kids call it, or Masto, Masto they call it, Masto, what right, Masto? Yeah. Um, so Mastodon <laughs> is part of this thing called GNU Social uh, and Activity Pub, which are basically um, a network of a whole load of things that are a bit like Twitter that can talk to each other. And the latest mm. release of Mastodon um, also makes it a little bit like Instagram as well. So it, it's kind of growing to cover some of the stuff. And there are other things that are a bit like Facebook. But Mastodon seems to have the momentum at the moment. But the beauty of Mastodon is that you don't have to use Mastodon to interact with people who are on Mastodon. There's all kinds of alternative mm. 
implementations, uh, many many of which are open source, that can all talk to each other. So you can follow someone on Mastodon when you're on GNU Social or vice versa. Um, and there's all there's hundreds and thou actually there's actually thousands of instances of Mastodon. So you can go, you can choose um, to register on a, a site that you trust. You like the way they run their site, but you can still interact with people on all the other sites. Um, That's very good. So yeah, they, they, it, even in the world which went a bit backwards, which is the uh, the kind of Google Plus, Facebook, Twitter world, um, things are moving back again. People are realizing the value of having control over um, their, their platform and not letting some single company have complete control over their whole world. And especially yes. when these companies are so important because they can have such an influence on politics and um, important things in the world. Um, I hope people are starting to wake up to the, the point that we shouldn't let this stuff all be secret and controlled by one company. You know, the, the, mm. the scariness that the, the, not only is the software that's running on Facebook potentially invading your privacy but also there's no way of knowing what it does because you can't see the code yes exactly yeah no, yeah i think it's worth pointing out right now that well not right now but i'm, I'm going to point out <laughs> that uh say if you're a like a tech startup of which there are many many around the world you could potentially um get you know start a project with no physical server server boxes in your office, just laptops. Um, you could use all open source software, so you don't have to pay for any of the software. You could use a cloud provider like um, AWS or Azure or GCP, which is Google Cloud Platform, um, in order to build your stuff. And you know you're just paying for hosting. Uh, which you know, not, not even for hosting. You're sort of paying by the hour or by the minute. Mm, so you only pay for what you machine. use for a lot of these things. Yeah. You only pay for what you use. Yeah, exactly. You, you haven't got a machine on twenty four seven. You're only paying when you're compiling or you, when you're putting your software together. Uh, so it's perfectly possible for for any tech startup to do that, and that is all driven by open source software. Yeah, none of this would be possible. That is, it, yeah. yeah, none of it would be possible. So, you know, the likes of things like the Tesla, the likes of things like the SpaceX, all of that stuff is driven by open source software. And it's just incredible. So, yeah, they, uh, even though it, really it looks, if you look at the movement, it looks like a bunch of hippies who, are, uh, mm. who don't believe in capitalism and want to give their stuff away. The, the effect it has on the economy is this massive positive impact on the ability to innovate and... Um, you know, just efficiency of operation, um, yeah. especially for small outfits, which is quite exciting. Yes, it is. Yeah, because it it means that um, you get a you get a massive explosion in 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 creativity and people getting their work out there, yeah. and that that although that was going on, say ten years ago. It, there isn't the explosion that has happened now. We also shouldn't forget really the hippies. Incredible. One of the things I no no we shouldn't forget them. One, yeah. one of the things I really like about the movement is that for me the attraction of it really is is the giving away right. So uh, that often mm. gets eclipsed, especially when people talk about open source as opposed to free software. Um, yeah. People talk about how it's kind of um, enlightened self interest, and you know you work on open source 
as a company, you pay for development on open source because it benefits you um, and it's a good way of working with other companies who have common goals with you and so on and so on. And that's all good yes. and, and all true, but it's also just a, a way for people if you have spare time to do work that is helpful to other people and potentially yes. may be helpful to people who have less money than you or fewer opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that is, um, a sea that, that to me, that's a sea change in the way that people think, uh, because I think that as a whole, Massive generalization is that the human race has become more selfish uh, of late than it has been for quite some time. In fact, we touched on this in our what was it called? Um, Love versus fear. Hate versus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that uh, uh, as we've seen just this weekend with the marches that happened in the United States, which were incredible is that younger people have had enough of older people telling them how stuff works. And that is something that's, you know, it's been repeated time and time again throughout history. Um, and uh, I think that uh, open source is part of that. You know, it's people saying, look, we don't really care what you say about the fact that uh, we can't do this. We're going to do it anyway. That's interesting. So it, it, just speak, yeah. speaking of younger people versus older people, because I think in, in politics I, I feel similarly that the, I'm hoping that the young people will come along and just sweep away um, some of that sort of hatred and fear-based politics that we're seeing at the moment. There's an interesting mm. dynamic in the open source community, in the free software community, which is that older people like me, because that's what I am now, um, Mm -hmm. Tend to be more inclined. Not as old as me. No. Tend to be more. No, never. <laughs> you you suppose? No. <laughs> I led you down there, and you you dropped me. You dropped me in the lake. <laughs> um, older people like me tend to be more inclined towards licenses that are more um, shouty. That basically say, um, not only um, am I giving you this software for free, but also you must. If you give it to other people, you must give it to them under the same conditions, and you must make sure that right. you don't close it off, but you keep it open for them. And and I would argue that that's because we've seen a world where um, this wasn't the norm, and we want to protect yes. against um, going back to that. Whereas younger people tend to be just chucking their code out there and saying, yeah, use it for anything you like. Because um, they take it for granted, because they've never known anything else. Yeah, and my worry is that, yeah. that that's short-sighted of those young people, and they should listen to some of these older people saying, you know, we should really protect these freedoms that we've got, um, otherwise people will start taking your stuff and using it, um, and they won't give back to the community, and then you might regret it. So that's an interesting, like, uh, young-old thing, uh, uh, the slight, the slightly different dynamic, but... Um, Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I hope I point. am. I... No, no, I think that's a good point. I think that, um, I think that freedom and liberty are taken for granted. Yeah, there's a, and... there's a saying about that. Yeah. What is it? Which is? The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Yes, that's it. That's Boom. correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> you win the internets. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I had one more section in my notes. Uh, okay. That I think we touched on some related issues already. So, my my last freedom was called beauty and ugliness. <laughs> um, oh, okay. And so, uh, this was me wanting to say, wanting to not leave this completely 
positive, right? So the 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 open source community and the free software community are a community or multiple communities. They are actually lots of communities around different pieces of software, um, and there are some amazing and beautiful things about those communities. And I've I've heard. Um, I heard a, uh, a woman who grew up in a, a small town where being into computers for a girl was like completely insane. And she was, mm. she was a total social reject, but she was completely accepted in the community of the, of the free software project that she was contributing to. I don't actually remember which one it was. Uh, it's an incredibly inspiring and brilliant story about how, you know, a group of people with a common interest accept someone and um, have no... Um, are completely blind to any of the normal biases that society has about people and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and there are some fantastic projects. In, uh, it, specifically, one of the best projects, I think, is this thing called Outreachy, which is which was set up by the GNOME project and is now um, uh, under the banner of the Software Freedom Conservancy group, um, who sponsor people from uh, uh, pe- uh, groups that are underrepresented in programming and technology disciplines um for like a three-month period of of basically paying them enough money that they can do this full time to write code Mm -hmm. and get into the community and stuff like that so that's brilliant also um google sponsor um internships for students the way they uh, over the summer they spend three months working on an open source project and contributing to it and google give you money for that also, uh, there's amazing projects like the Rust project, which is a programming language which is just incredibly accepting of people from different backgrounds and really makes an effort to um, to be inclusive. Be inclusive, but the, all of these things really are a reaction to some fairly ugly stuff. So the the technology world as a whole, um, it, it's got quite a lot of. Um, it, it was there in the early days of the internet, and I think the rest of the world caught up with trolling and basically being horrible to people on twitter but that's been around Mm. for decades in the internet community people have been being horrible to each other on the internet since before most people knew the internet existed Um, and it was kind of taken as just part of the culture and people thought it was kind of funny or good or something what they didn't realize was that it was it was um funny to people who were already felt at home and accepted in that community and it was completely excluding and horrible uh, and drove people away if they were in any way didn't feel included in that in that society or mm. that community. Mm. So what that ended up with being is the tech community is very un, or has been very unwelcoming and uh, very homogenous. And actually, the open source and free software community has been much more homogenous. It's been really strongly biased towards white males of specific age groups, um, and and it's been homophobic and, uh, you know, it's just been... Misogynistic. Yeah, it's been a really horrible place for anyone who looks different, which is kind of weird because these people, the people who formed this movement are so geeky that they thought they they wouldn't even see someone's uh, face or the gender or whatever. They would just see the code. But actually, it turns out, by not thinking about this stuff, humans are not very good at um, uh, not seeing stuff like that. We tend to be massively influenced by it. So actually, it, it takes a huge effort by a human to prevent themselves being influenced by that kind of unconscious bias. So all these geeks who assumed they had no bias 
um, and were not very good at social stuff, so they didn't notice their own behaviour and their own emotional responses, are some of the worst people at um, fighting against their own biases. So they, you know, they thought yeah. one thing and the opposite was happening. You know, that's my take on it anyway. And the, the, the outcome is that the, the, the geekier the project, the more homogenous it looks and the less inclusive mm. it feels. Um, and yeah. so it has been a horrible place for people. And, and, and I think the community is waking up to that. And the way Rust, as an example, has set up its community because it set itself up quite recently. Um, with clear community guidelines about behavior and acceptance and so on uh, it's like a shining example of how how to do stuff and how to kind of fight against this um, bias that there is in the whole yeah. in the whole of the tech community um, uh, also a lot of conferences have started adopting um, codes of conduct a conference that I go to whenever I can ACCU has been quite late picking this up but um that conference has now picked up a code of conduct, I think modelled largely on on the Rust one or or the Rust conference one or something. Um, but yeah, just saying stuff like um, it's not okay to you know like make sexual advances towards someone who doesn't want you to, and also it's very importantly outlining um, the consequences if you break the rules. You know, you get kicked out. Um, uh, and that, these are all these are all important things. Yeah, and these are things that start to make it not such an intimidating place um, yes. to be if you look slightly different from the people who all look the same who are there at the moment, who all look like me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, there are, you know, there are unpleasant people in all industries and movements, and uh, and it's important that. Um, you know, places like the ACCU take steps to try and make it more inclusive, and they are doing that, and that's really important. Yeah, I'm really encouraged about ACCU specifically. It's just it's my little corner of this world, but actually, it's not really mm. very open source. The ACCU, but anyway, lots of geeks there. Um, yeah, and and the ACCU looks like a lot of um, nerdy looking white men in in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, but those nerdy-looking white men in their 30s, 40s and 50s uh, are doing their best uh, to, to speak and act more inclusively, and it's already bearing fruit. And they, um, the people who are coming are looking different, and also the people who are coming are starting to show that actually they were different all along, but they hadn't felt comfortable talking about it. And that is really mm. exciting as well. Yeah. That, yeah, that is exciting, yeah. So that's cool. That is very exciting. One other aspect I want to talk about, one sort of downside, or I know we've gone on ages, is that the thing I mentioned earlier about how people starting to say, I'll oh, just look at my GitHub profile instead of sending in a CV. And a lot of jobs or, or interview processes is kind of saying, um, if, you, you know, if you're not doing uh, side projects on GitHub, then you're obviously not really passionate about um, being a programmer. And, uh, yeah, I've seen those. Mm -hmm. I've seen those ads. Yeah, and the 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 problem with that, I mean, it sounds good at first, right? You know, it's it's good for someone like me because I've got side projects on GitHub, so I look good when I go in to apply for that job. But um, what that does is it biases the selection process towards people who have spare time, mm. and that biases against certain groups of people who don't have <clears> spare time. Yeah. For example, can't afford yeah. to have spare time. Uh, or have caring responsibilities that means that they they don't get to mess about on their computer making github projects when they're not at work um yeah 
and so that's another aspect that can be quite negative of of this this movement which i hope we spent long enough talking about the positive aspects that people understand that i'm really positive about it <laughs> yeah absolutely but, yeah I, I think that people i think our listener will understand that yeah. good but we i think it's important to talk about these types of things and and you know any community has to um be vigilant and i think especially a community that is so homogenous uh as the open source community even more homogenous than the general programming tech industry uh mm. really needs to look at itself and think why uh, why is it like this and what are we doing wrong that is causing this bias and try and fix it and i hope that there is some movement towards that now yeah yeah my take on the um my take on the github thing and companies saying that we're only interested in or no you know we're really interested if you've got github projects my take on it is is that i've seen a few of those ads when i was looking for work last year and i didn't apply to, apply for them because i don't have anything on github because mm-hmm. that's not really the way that i work mm-hmm. um uh so but you know i there's a possibility that i may have rocked up at one of those companies and done quite well mm-hmm. so i think for them to make it kind of like a prerequisite is very close-minded mm-hmm. and homogenous of them to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that maybe they could talk about during the interview process, but to put it in the job spec, I think is wrong. Yeah. I mean, That's I, my take on it anyway. I, I feel divided about it because I, I agree and I, I think it's potentially really excluding. But I, I also think that um, uh, I've you know, most of the really excellent programmers that I've met have have had this sort of passion since the first time they saw a computer they're like whoa this is this amazing thing and mm. uh and so i can see why companies want to find people like that because um some people like that are really brilliant programmers <laughs> um but what we need to be able to do is find people who are that brilliant and haven't had those opportunities yes uh, and nurture yeah. that and that is just really well like all people issues it's just really difficult yeah it is difficult yeah it is difficult uh, is that have we just covered the open source community well I think so I've finished my my scribbled notes your list of we've points. gone on longer than we've ever gone on before <laughs> no it's good it's good I mean it's a bit the thing is it's a big subject We've already covered Linux in a in a talk, and that was a that was a long talk, mm-hmm. because open source is everywhere, and so many people are involved in it. Yeah. Um, just recently, um, I switched over from no, not, I haven't switched over. I've still got my Windows machine, but I now have a Linux uh, machine at home, mm-hmm. which is running my TV server. Mm-hmm using a bit of software called TV Head End, which is really good. Oh, I heard of that, yeah. I was wondering about trying that out. Yeah, it's excellent. It's we- it's all web-based. Uh, it's a little bit idiosyncratic, like many mm-hmm. bits of open-source software are. But then again, there's plenty of proprietary software that's incredibly idiosyncratic yeah. and difficult to use. Does it, so, does it record um, TV? Yes, it does. Because I've, I've had yeah. this hokey thing that I wrote years ago running on mm. my computer for ages and I'm really sick of trying to look after it. <laughs> I'd like to use something someone else wrote. Okay, so yes, uh, I'm using that. I'm using uh, a thing called Air Sonic, which is a way that I can listen to my record collection at work. Ah, cool. Record collection, my CD. <laughs> my record collection. <laughs> I'm listening to my... Uh, through my ear trumpet. <laughs> I'm listening to my 78s. On my BBC of, B. My BBC Micro B. <laughs> 
Um, I'm also running a little Python web server to serve up some podcasts. Awesome. Um, so, and that's all open source. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also using Samba to serve, to share things on my home network. Uh, I'm using a thing called XRDP, which is a implementation of the remote desktop protocol that wraps around VNC mm-hmm. and makes for a much more pleasurable VNC experience, it has to be said. Yeah, so that's so being able I, to use your computer yeah. from one room when it's in another room. Yes, exactly. Uh, and people, you know, and people who've used things like remote desktop on Windows will know that remote desktop on Windows is really good. Yeah, it's one of the best things on uh, Windows. Yes, yeah, really good. And VNC is kind of not very good, yeah. but it, but it's been around for such a long time. Yeah. Uh, but XRDP is is a kind of a melding of the two. That's cool to make VNC just a little bit better. I use X to go. I haven't heard of that. Same same thing. Tell me to, what what's X? To, oh, it's the same thing. Okay, it's uh, it's yeah. cool. It Excellent. works nicely. I can use my work computer from home reasonably well. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I think that's probably it. Should we do some plugging? Should I tell you a film I've watched recently? And then you can guess what I think of it. Yeah, yeah, do. Yeah, go on, yeah. I watched a film recently called Arrival, and the context for Arrival is that you told me Blade Runner was going to be good because... And it was. (laughs) Denny Villeneuve had directed Arrival, Arrival, and and that Mm -hmm. was good. So what do you think I thought of Arrival? I think you really liked it. Bear in mind that the last few times you, I've watched something that you thought was good, I've said, yeah, mm. it was okay. Well, only because I spoilt it for you. So. <laughs> oh, that is true. Yeah, uh, yeah, I loved Arrival. Uh, yeah, I thought you I would. I loved it. Yeah. Um, I really didn't expect the plot to go the way it did. And it really, it was just good all the way through it. it yeah. The filmmaking it's really good, was isn't good. It? Yeah, and I cared about the characters. I cared about the um, uh, tetrapods. Yeah, you know, even when the thing happens towards the end, yeah. I actually that every time that 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 gets me that scene. Yeah, anything will get you. Well, that's true. Yeah, I cry at anything. <laughs> TV adverts about washing powder when it says it gets your whites whiter than white. Yeah, I cry at those. Yeah. I wish my whites were whiter than white. I wish my whites were white. <laughs> yeah, I loved um, it. It's really great. And uh, I can see why you thought Blade Runner was going to be okay. 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 But you, when, before we'd seen it. immense. Yeah. Well, before you'd seen oh, it. Oh, yes. No, we did say me, that, no, didn't it's going to yeah. be okay because, because Arrival is what you said, essentially. Yeah, I did say that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. We're in safe hands, I think is I think yeah. is the word that I used. And you were right. I used, yeah. Yeah, I could have been wrong though, but um but yes, I, I take responsibility for that and say, Yeah, I was right. It was good. <laughs> it was good. Shall we do some plugging? All right, go. Okay. Uh I present a uh, radio show on Glastonbury FM in the Glastonbury Street and Wells area of Somerset. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm in the wells. Expecting the, the wells, I'm in the, the wells, 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 wells. Just it's uh, movie reviews, DVD reviews, uh, movies that are on TV at the weekend. I play music from the films that I talk about and indeed the films that are on television. 
uh, talk about some DVD picks. I plug this podcast on that show, mm-hmm. and I'm plugging that, that show on this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, and if you don't live down the street, uh, anywhere near the near wells, the wells. Uh, you can also get it on the internet. You can get it on the internet. Search for Glastonbury FM, and they have an internet stream. It goes out live between six and seven PM on a Thursday or this week. It's going to be recorded because uh, my the good lady her indoors, my wife, is going to see Ready Player One. Oh, really? So, and what do you think? Yes. You think oh, that's uh, directed by Spielberg, so it's probably going to be okay, right? Is that yes? Me? I think it'll be good. Yeah. My son read the book and, and really liked it. And he said, oh, it's, yeah. He said it had yeah. a bit of swearing in, so he wasn't sure he was allowed to read it. But he did anyway. But he, by that time, he'd already read it. I bought it for him, so <laughs> I can. I, I bought it for him without reading it, so I can be blamed. For right. This. Okay. Um, when he has a so, potty uh, mouth, you know who to blame. <laughs> there are podcast highlights of that show: uh, movie mashup, all lowercase, no camel case, no caps, <laughs> no caps, no caps. No caps. Um, I'm in the world. Search for that in your in your podcasting app of choice, or indeed iTunes. Uh, I've got an iTunes uh, point to make, but you should do some plugging first, and then I'll talk about iTunes. You should rate and review us on iTunes. Was, you should. Is that your point? Or? Yes, that was what I was going to oh, say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. I thought you had another point. Like it's horrible no. proprietary software with digital restrictions management on it. It doesn't have that anymore, though. iTunes is... They got um, rid of it There's completely. no DRM there. Okay. Yeah, there's no DRM on iTunes. See, in mm. some places, we are winning the argument. So actually, let's just talk about that very briefly. Is that uh, there was a time when Amazon Music and iTunes were completely DRM'd. So their music was um, digitally signed. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't copy it. To another device, which meant that you couldn't it was use fixed. it on, on Linux yeah. or on some anything else. You could only use it on a very specific platform that they had approved. That's right. Uh, and this came about after Napster. So people might remember Napster, which was a music sharing platform, a very early type of torrenting platform was Napster. That obviously went pear shaped, and DRM was introduced as a, a sort of knee jerk reaction to saying, "Look, everything's locked down now." And people can't copy it to their devices, largely to sort of placate the music industry that was basically running around in circles wetting itself because it just didn't know what to do. But uh, there came a time when when the large, you know, the big players like Amazon and iTunes realised that everybody was just breaking the DRM. They were cracking it and they were copying it to their devices. But also, didn't Bruce so, Willis or yeah. someone like that challenge it? I, I say, don't know, did he? Like it wasn't it, it was someone like Bruce Willis, someone a bit random who said, "Well, I own like fifty thousand pieces of music on iTunes, oh, and I want yes, I want I to be able that. to hand it on to my children, and because of DRM, I can't. I'm not allowed." Okay, listener, you should look this up <laughs> someone on like the Bruce internet because it was someone quite high profile that did that. Yeah, you're or right, Brad Pitt. I think it was Bruce Willis. It may have been Brad Pitt. It certainly wasn't Lars Ulrich who actually appeared uh, in the United States and said. Napster is bad, okay? Okay. And Metallica. Okay. Metallica are good, okay? No, Metallica are, like, really against... Like, they were suing yeah, their he's, fans and things. He's since come out and said, look, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> dude. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm really sorry. Um, what's he going to say? Oh, um, yeah. Go on. 
Yeah, uh, that's it. That was my point. So you need to you need to do some plugging. BitTorrent, open source. I feel like I'm that that, that sketch that sketch by um, that uh, comedy program. Where, goodness, goodness gracious, goodness me. gracious me. That's Indian. Yeah. Well, that's open source. <laughs> well, so BitTorrent, uh, BitTorrent's open source and was designed like for a brilliant purpose of letting people download massive files without having to pay for hosting of huge files. Um, yeah, exactly. Peer to peer. Uh, and it's now used for that, but no one talks about that. What they talk about is it being used to download stuff that people have spent years making and then you don't pay for. It's yes. used for that, yes, too, indeed. to be fair. It is used yeah. for that, too. Um, but that wasn't why it was designed, and it's completely open source and all good. Uh, plugging. Um, uh, yeah, so I do some open source stuff. So you can look me up on GitHub, uh, github.com slash Andy Balaam. Um, uh, and if you follow my blog on artificialworlds.net slash blog or look at artificialworlds.net, um, there's a list of a lot of my open source projects on there. I also uh, got YouTube videos talking about some of the open source projects that I've done. Recent things include, like I wrote a little toy programming language to show you how to write programming languages. Uh, hmm. And the slides for that are all on GitHub, but also the language itself is all on GitHub, along with a load of explanation that I wrote. There's also videos on YouTube of me explaining that and a video of me at the ACCU conference, which we mentioned earlier, uh, mm -hmm. also explaining that. This year, I'll be at the ACCU conference in, oh my goodness, it's only a couple of weeks away. I'm terrified. It's not long. Yeah. Uh, I'll be talking about Lisp, one of the greatest and oldest programming languages in the world, uh, which if you look on GitHub or at least look on my website, you'll find an open source version of Lisp that I wrote <laughs> as well mm. so you see it all links together oh, cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah on about i think it's about the 11th of april come along to the accu conference in bristol uh it's a load of incredibly geeky people hopefully uh getting more heterogeneous over time but still just mm. as geeky that's a good word what does that mean it's the opposite of homogenous oh i didn't know that uh, people okay. often mispronounce it heterogeneous yes i've heard that yeah that's wrong it's heterogeneous heterogeneous although i'm sure if we're being inclusive we'll allow people to pronounce it however they like yeah well yes uh it, i think it's just worth uh, a little postscript about we were just talking about uh, music and drm is that uh in the when napster was a thing uh when it was illegal because there is actually a there's a there's a legal version of Napster. someone that, carried on the name is. and did something different yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly but at the time um, when MP3s exploded onto the world, that that code was closed source and basically stolen. But now uh, the code for MP3 is open source. Mm, yeah, it's, it it was um, it, it it was patented. It can the yes. algorithm for encoding and decoding MP3s was patented, and the patent has That's expired. Right. It's expired. Yes. So now it's legal to write open source implementations. Exactly, yeah. So you could you could take a MP3 and, and and change it and improve it, presumably. And this program, that's what we should end on. This program mm. is licensed under a, a what you might call open source license. It's actually it's under a Creative Commons license, which is a group of Creative Commons licenses are a group of licenses that are useful for creative works as opposed to code. It's under a license which is uh which has similar conditions to um what we're talking about with the GPL. So you can you can use this 
program or parts of this program for anything you like. You can share it with your friends, but if you share stuff with your friends that's derived from this program, you must give them the same freedom that we're giving you. But yes. effectively what that means is you can like sample us and make us sound silly or make us say things we didn't really say, and we can't stop you. Although, of course, if it was like, yeah. like if it was against libel laws or something, <clears throat> we could probably stop you. So yeah, and as and as a and as a further postscript after the <laughs> little thing about MP3, is that yes, indeed, this is um, this sound recording is open source, and as at the top of the podcast, I mentioned that there is also a massive community of people who are producing uh, pieces of audio mm. and um, spoken word. Uh, that is entirely open source, and people can use in in whatever way they see, whatever way they see fit. Oh, we should give a shout out to the music that we use. Hang on, let me look it up. So we, yes, we, yes, we uh, the title music for this podcast is also released under it's released under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license, which is an open source type license. Yeah, it's it? it's less restrictive than than the license of the rest of the program. It lets you do anything you like, which is why we can use it in this podcast and add on restrictions like we are. Which is that yeah, that okay. It, um, ours is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. Anyway, um, the music is called I Don't Know. It's by Grapes, uh, copyright 2008. Uh, it's good and it features jay lang and morusk so it actually itself is a mashup of stuff done by other people yeah um so it's kind of part of that process the freedom you get by letting people use your stuff is that um you, you, people reuse your thing and do it use it for different things so maybe one day one of our stupid voices will be part of some amazing <laughs> open source uh, music and they won't even have to tell us they've done it but they will have to give credit because that's what the attribution part means yes yes exactly and they will have yeah, to give, give the people credit. who download it the same freedom that we're giving you <coughs> that's what the share alike yeah. part means share alike so if you click on the little links at the bottom of the um the blog entries about our um podcast you'll find out more about the creative commons license if you click on the the link that says creative commons attribution share like for 4.0 international license <laughs> then uh you can find out more about the creative commons licenses yeah um, and you can find music on ccmixter.org let me check that it's .org i think it's .org cc stands for creative commons yeah let me just check that ccmixter.org yeah so that's ccmix and then T-E-R dot org. Mixter. And on there, you can choose which license you're looking for, like completely free to do anything or the attribution share alike like we use or something else. And then you can find music that fits your licensing requirements. Yes. Um, there's lots of cool music on there. Yeah, there is. There's loads. I mean, I picked, I picked the piece of music out that we are using uh, for our intro and outro, but actually quite a lot of it on there would have been suitable. Mm. And actually, CC Mixer, CC Mixer isn't the only place. There's loads of other places as well, but it's the one that I use. Yeah, there is. The one yeah. that I've used a few times to find stuff. Yeah. So open source is cool. And cool. Okay. Okay. I think that's it. That's it. See you next time. We've gone, we've gone on for an hour and 35 minutes. It's too much. Which I think time, is a record. Time to end the season. Yeah, I think so, yes. Bye, listener. See you next season. Bye. Bye.